Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. As we mark an anniversary that has claimed thousands of civilian lives and unleashed untold suffering, China calls for all sides to find a political solution. Will China's call be heeded? And veteran journalist Seymour Hersh has revealed that the U.S. was behind the Nord Stream pipeline explosions last year. What's the connection between that incident and the war one year on? Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. February the 24th marks the anniversary of uh, the Ukraine war. According to the latest UN data, at least 8,000 civilians have been confirmed killed with nearly 13,000 injured in Ukraine. Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gang said China is deeply worried that the Ukraine conflict could spiral out of control and called on certain countries to stop fueling the fire. On Friday, China issued a position paper calling for peace and laid out its propositions to a political settlement of the crisis. What's the prospect for peace while the West steps up weapons provision to keep the fighting going? How to look at China's proposition and proposals? Also, a recent expose by a Pulitzer Prize winning American journalist reveals the Biden administration was behind the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipelines last year, a story collectively shunned by influential media in the West claiming lack of credibility. But the same media now are jumping on stories speculating that China is about to provide lethal support to Russia, citing exclusive information. What's going on? I had the opportunity to talk to Professor Jeffrey Sachs, president of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network and director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. What is the significance of the Chinese vision for how to achieve global security on such a juncture? What China has been saying about the Ukraine war and this uh, new document and new security initiative are extremely important. China recognized from the very start that there were true security interests on both sides, Ukraine and Russia, that need to be observed in order for this war to end and that they can be observed, that they should be reflected and respected through dialogue and negotiation and that continued war and escalation was dangerous, devastating for Ukraine and unnecessary. The principles that China has put forward in my mind are correct. China understood that this was a war that has underlying political provocations. In my opinion, the U.S. intention to enlarge its military alliance, NATO to Ukraine and to Georgia, crossed an essential uh, Russian red line, and in my view, an understandable Russian red line. The United States participated in the overthrow of a duly elected constitutional president of Ukraine in February 2014. We're actually not at the first anniversary of this war. We're at the ninth anniversary of this war because the war started with the overthrow of Viktor Yanukovych and then fighting broke out. Uh, Russia also then took Crimea. Uh, the fighting in the Donbass broke out. NATO, especially the United States, sent massive amounts of armaments to Ukraine 
And so we're in the ninth year of escalation. And what China has been very clear about, I must say, all through this, and China has had good relations with Ukraine and good relations with Russia. It's not on one side or another. It has said that there is underlying politics and that the security interests of both sides need to be respected. I believe that that's the case as well. I have said not only from the first day of this invasion a year ago, or even for the years since 2014, NATO should not enlarge to Ukraine and Georgia because that is a security red line of Russia that is understandable and that if this were in a U.S. context of uh, a foreign power making military alliances along the U.S. border, I guarantee the reaction would not be a happy or pleasant one. Uh, and so we should have prudence, wisdom, judgment, common sense to back off from war. But instead, we don't. We just have total finger pointing, no dialogue at all. Biden has not picked up the phone to speak with Putin since the war started. That is remarkable because the whole world suffers from this war and the two should be speaking and not speaking to a camera, just making public remarks, but speaking about how to end the conflict without further escalation and further devastation of Ukraine. So I am hoping that China, India, Brazil, Indonesia, South Africa, other major countries that are saying, stop, stop escalating. You're killing Ukraine, literally. And at the same time, you're threatening the whole world that the voices of leading countries that are not in this conflict will push the United States and Russia to negotiation and to understand each other's red lines, which has been a missing factor all along. Mutual respect and prudence will keep us safe. What is your take of the article published by, uh, written by Mr. Hirsch? And especially noting that you were one of the first people, basically a week after the explosion last year, you suggested that it was the, the Biden administration that carried out the bombing. Basically, the sim similar conclusion that Mr. Hirsch came to. I think the Hirsch article is very credible. And while it has been rejected by the U.S. and other governments, they haven't provided any single detail disputing the article. It's just been a flat rejection saying this is a fantasy, this is false. But they haven't told any alternative and they haven't shown any single fact that is wrong in the Hirsch account. So for the moment, I think uh, Seymour Hirsch has uh, not only a lot of credibility of a lifetime of investigative reporting, but has uh, a credibility that comes from the fact that his points have not been refuted. And I must say, they make a lot of sense. Here's what we know about this that's really important. This terrorist attack had to be carried out at state level. This is a very hard to do attack. The pipeline sits uh, under roughly 90 meters of uh, sea level. It is a big, thick, heavy steel encased in even bigger, thicker concrete. It needed a lot of explosives. 
in order to blow up the three of the four pipelines. Apparently, part of the event did not succeed, in fact, because uh, clearly the intention was to blow up all four of the pipelines. But that shows how hard this was technically. So there are only a very few governments that could do this. The United States uh, obviously being one. Uh, perhaps the governments uh, immediately in that region uh, it could be UK, Norway, Sweden, uh, or Russia. But then you start to ask the question, okay, is it Russia? Two facts I think are important. First, Russia had no incentive whatsoever to blow up its own infrastructure. And second, now several months after the event, the Western intelligence agencies are actually saying quietly, but reported in the Washington Post of all places, that there is zero evidence that Russia had anything to do with this. To my mind, that leaves the United States, UK, uh, as I say, Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway, Poland, perhaps uh, as those who carried it out. I can assure you uh, that if any of the others carried it out, they did it with the knowledge and cooperation of the United States. This was a difficult technical feat. This requires tremendous technological capacity. It requires cover because this is a region that is heavily monitored by U.S. and other intelligence and uh, military services. So you have to have deep cover to be able to carry this out. And then finally, I would just come to motive and statements. American politicians hated Nord Stream. They hated Nord Stream 2. There wasn't almost a day that went by when they said what a disgraceful project Nord Stream is. On February 7th, 2022, President Biden famously said in a press briefing together with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, if Russia invades, Nord Stream 2 is over. And the reporter asked him, Mr. President, how can you say that? This is not a U.S. project. This is a Russia-German project. Right. How do you say that? He said, believe me, we have our ways. Uh, after the event, the U.S. Secretary of State said this was a tremendous opportunity to wean Europe off of Russian energy. Strange statement if you are concerned about international terrorism on international infrastructure. Right. And then well, more recently than that, the Undersecretary of State, Victoria Nuland, said how delighted she and the administration are that Nord Stream 2 is a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Uh, it's not, uh, not the way to speak about uh, an event that has massive danger and massive potential repercussions. Many thanks, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, for sharing with us your insights on this very important story. My pleasure. My one-on-one -on -one interview with uh, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, President of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network and Director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. When we come back after a short break, as the Ukraine war enters its second year, there's a heating up narrative that China is on the brink of supplying weapons to Russia. Is there a campaign in the media to use the war to implicate China? Stay with us. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. 
with the Unlearn to Speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. The best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the art of war will help you understand why there's no art in war and how Sun Tzu stayed undefeatable using the science of war with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decoding the Art of War on Spotify. Dunhuang Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world, it's where the East and West interacted, and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Loved Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on the major podcast platforms. Why We Loved Dunhuang, you will have your answers. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. On Friday, China published its position on the political settlement of the Ukraine conflict, laying out 12 points on how to resolve the crisis. Meanwhile, media in the West have just started to hype up on a story by the German news magazine Der Spiegel that claims China is about to provide military support to Russia, including dual-use equipment. On that basis, Washington has warned Beijing not to do so or face serious consequences. Can such reports be substantiated? Is there a media campaign to use the war in Ukraine to implicate China? One year on, is the end of war inside at all? What is helpful and what is not? I'm pleased to be joined from Hong Kong by Professor Wang Jiangyu of the School of Law at the City University of Hong Kong and from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the United States by Klaus Laris, Professor of History and International Affairs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's also visiting scholar at the Center of European Studies at Harvard University. City. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So very briefly on China's position on the political settlement of the Ukraine crisis, the 12 points include uh, the respecting of sovereignty of all countries, abandoning Cold War mentality, seizing all hostilities, resuming peace talks, resolving the humanitarian crisis, protecting civilian and prisoners of war, keeping nuclear power plants safe, reducing strategic risks, facilitating grain exports, stopping unilateral sanctions, keeping industrial and supply chains stable and promoting post-conflict reconstruction. I want to go to um, Professor Wang first for the significance of this paper at this critical juncture, basically just hours ago. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, Lu Xin. Nice to be here uh, again. 
Uh, yeah, the, the position paper was just issued an hour ago, and uh, I was reading it with, with great interest. Uh, it is basically a collection of uh, some of China's uh, rather uh, so consistent position on this issue from the from the very beginning. But it also has, if you read between the lines, it also has some very, very interesting, probably new points, new position mm -hmm. re re revealed in the official, in the official way. So the, uh, with respect to Chinese position, I, I would urge people to distinguish between two questions. The first one is uh, that whether China supports Russia's war on Ukraine. And the second question is whether China wants to maintain a good, friendly, and cooperative relationship with Russia. So these are two very different questions. So the, uh, so the, the China and Russia are two neighbors. So the, it will be each other's biggest nightmare, disaster, if China and Russia become enemies. So both countries, I guess especially China, wants to have very good uh, neighborhood relationship with Russia. But this does not necessarily mean that China would support the, the war. So the, uh, China, the Chinese position, at least the official position, has always been that China wants peace and uh, China wants uh, the respect for state sovereignty and uh, territorial integrity, and uh, China wants uh, international dispute to be resolved in the, in the, in the peaceful right. way. Yes. And, uh, and, and China, also, China is also against the use of nuclear weapon, and uh, China does not want to see the, the uh, disruption of supply chains, including wheat export. Yeah. So those positions are all made quite clear in that position paper. Mm. Um, Professor Laras, uh, how do you look at the uh, propositions by China at this moment? For instance, the call for all sides to secede hostilities. China is not saying only one side has to lay down the, the arms, but all sides and calling for peace negotiations to start and, and of course, you know, to prevent nuclear power plants from being uh, damaged and prevent nuclear weapons from being used. How do you look at China's voices at this very important time, a time, um, time mark, especially amid the accusation that China is about to supply weapons to Russia with no substantive evidence, no public evidence, and that even some dual use, so-called dual use equipment are being uh, included in the list. Again, you know, there's no evidence at all disclosed. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And regarding these accusations, these are uh, accusations from American intelligence. They apparently have evidence to show that, but we don't know, of course. So the, we, we really don't know whether or not China wants to get more militarily involved in the war. Hopefully, of course, not. Regarding the points uh, China has just tabled, the 12 points, which I've only just seen, they are all very good points. They're very sensible, very common sense uh, uh, points. And I think everyone would like to have nuclear power plants protected. Everyone wants to have an end of the war, clearly. The problem is, of course, how to get there. And China is probably the one country in the world which has an awful lot of influence on Vladimir Putin in Moscow. And I think that influence needs to be used. So if China can pressure Putin into laying down arms, into making some concessions so that peace talks are uh, possible, then I think China would be praised by almost everyone in the world because everyone wants to see an end of the war. Mm. But of course, 
it is difficult to accept that the aggressor, Russia, would maintain the territory they have conquered. You know, should we reward so, the aggressor? So two points basically you're making. First of all, China's influence over Russia. You are saying China has that influence. Secondly, that the West really wants to see a quick uh, solution to the crisis. I mean, I'm talking about the United States, maybe not necessarily Europeans who, want to, who may want to prolong this conflict. Professor Wang, what are your uh, reactions on these two points? Uh, first, uh, very quickly on the uh, allegations that China is going to, uh, to provide military assistance to Russia. I, 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 of course, I don't have the, uh, I, I don't have the intelligence. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, the, uh, as a fact. But I think from the common sense perspective, it's entirely unlikely because China does not gain anything from militarily involved. So China has been valued as, uh, uh, as a third party, as a neutral party. I don't think China wants to lose its neutrality uh, in this regard. And then go back to your two points. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the same argument has been made about China-North uh, Korea relationship. So the, uh, China has maintained a good relationship with a number of, with a number of countries. Uh, then some people, some politicians, especially Western politicians, want China to have the influence uh, to do their job and, and, and to stop those countries. Uh, the, the question is, China has always been constrained. China has a long-term, consistent policy on uh, non-interference. Uh, in, uh, so the, the principle uh, based on the five principles. So even though China might be very close to a particular country, it's 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 unlikely for China to ask that country to do something or stop doing something. Maybe in the future, China might change. But but so far, the foreign policy or uh, Chinese foreign policy orientations, China doesn't do that. So it can, it, you know, it can advise, it can uh, develop a cooperative, mutually beneficial relationship, but it does not demand other countries to, to do things that belong do, to do their own Do you think, Professor Wang, do you think it is in the genuine interest of the United States that the war stops tomorrow? <laughs> Cynically speaking, no. Uh, I, I think there. Uh, well, this is a war, so there, there are many casualties. Uh, they uh, shouldn't be calculated from a cost-benefit perspective. But but there, there are indeed, you know, you know, some kind of geopolitical winners and and losers. I think that I think the two uh, countries which are directly involved in the war, Russia and the Ukraine, have been have been greatly weakened. And so has Europe. So Europe has been Europe has been weakened. Europe has appeared to be an, an entity without much autonomy and uh, cannot does not even have yeah. a security policy, cannot do much here. They but but the US has benefited quite a lot. So US US is able to I think the US benefited in in, in two respects. Number one, uh, the uh, so the, the US has replaced Russia Russia as the supplier of, uh, of, of energy, of, of oil, right? we, uh, at a higher price, mm -hmm. and the U.S. can also export weapons yeah. uh, to, 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 uh, right. to the countries, well, yeah. tremendously increase. And, and secondly, U.S. has made Russia has made Europe more attached to it. Okay, especially Professor Laras, yeah, time is very mm. limited. Uh, Let me, uh, yeah, Professor Laras, you can respond. Yeah, mm. yeah I, would, I would totally disagree with what uh, Professor Wang has just said. You know, it is ludicrous to say that the United States or Europe were interested in prolonging the war and having more fighting done. The United States pays an awful lot of money in supporting Ukraine. Opinion in Congress is not as united as some media outlets report. So the Biden 
Biden administration may have problems with continuing the war. They want to stop the war, as do the Europeans. Do you have evidence, do you have evidence have to show that trade. the Biden administration is not is not interested in, in the war keeping going? Because that will keep Russia bleeding. No one wants Russia to bleed. Uh, everyone but the, wants but to the Biden administration is joyous that Russia no, has been weakened. No, not really. They have said it uh, in what, public. What, what they don't want the weakening of Russia. They want to have the uh, sovereignty of Ukraine maintained Are and observed. Are you sure? Because as China, as China wants as well. Are you sure? Because uh, we had we had the the vice president of the United States um, celebrating the the achievement so far of this war or the or what has been you yes. know what has happened, and she said specifically that Russia has been weakened. This is one of the points that she touted. Yes, but the Russia has been weakened, so it cannot fight as thoroughly as it uh, did at the beginning of the but war against Ukraine. If Putin was to withdraw his troops tomorrow or today, everyone in the world, including the United States, would be jubilant. Don't you think the United States is in a better position to make Russia do that? Uh, how can you do that if Putin doesn't see reason? So you have to fight him or you tr should try to talk know? to him. How do you know? Because President Biden is not picking up the phone and talking to President Putin. Well, it would be easy for Putin to actually phone uh, President Biden. Why is it Biden who has to phone Putin? No, because President Putin Biden has said that he will not. He has no plan to. Con he has no immediate plan to contact President Putin. He has basically said we're not. Yeah. But the guy who invaded a foreign country, Ukraine, who is the aggressor, shouldn't he also sue for peace? Shouldn't he take the initiative to stop what the carnage? See, that's, that's uh, what China is calling for. That's what China is calling for. That all sides seek peace. That all sides cease hostilities. Right. Anyway. Absolutely. Yes. I think that is the right policy. Both sides should get round the table right. and talk to okay. each other. We but in the end, you cannot uh, reward the aggressor with maintaining the territory it has conquered. I well, think this would not be we have to. We have to leave it there. But your point taken, and according to the latest poll by an influential European institution, the world is not siding with the West. People in the vast majority of uh, countries in the world or the population in the world do not agree with the West. There is a question to be answered there. Many but thanks, the Professor Professor Klaus Laris. I have to leave it there. 30 seconds to go. <laughs> Professor yeah. Wang, next time, yeah, next time we can continue discussion. Professor Wang Jiangyu from uh, City University of Hong Kong. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lucien. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lucien in Beijing. You've got the point.